20 minutes it is after 7pm and uh, yeah, it's our business wrap this evening joined to uh, take a look at the latest stories in the markets by uh, market analyst Bandila Matandela. Ndaka Matandela, good evening and welcome. Good evening, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. I want us to start off in the world of insurance, in the world of investments, and uh, I guess in the world of banking as well. Discovery uh, put out uh, their set of numbers here, and uh, yeah, relatively good showing. But if we take it, I guess, by their different segments, uh, massive showing on the part of their vitality health business, and also, yeah. I guess, a strong showing from their invest business. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, strong showing uh, from a group perspective, uh, and I think your point, uh, if you just take it uh, and look at it from a individual sort of uh, business, um, sort of business department within there, you know, it's been interesting. I mean, I think uh, a better than expected performance from Discovery Bank as well. You know, I think for me that 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 was a very interesting one. Of course, they're still making a loss, but I think they did much better than uh, they were anticipating, and it just shows that you know that they're potentially disrupting that uh, banking market. So uh, to what extent um, is you, you know, it's obviously still a very small extent if you just consider the other uh, top four banks. But nonetheless, for me, showing that uh, they're beginning to make uh, some traction in that particular one, you know. Uh, and as you mentioned, Vitality Health, Vitality Health, very strong showing. Uh, Discovery Invest as well. Um, so I think, um, I mean, I can imagine if you are sitting there as a shareholder at Discovery right now, you, you're probably smiling, you know, um, with increases on earnings per share, uh, increases all around, and um, particularly on a group perspective. But yeah, um, yeah it, well, it, I, guess I mean, I mean not, not maybe not Bandula, that might be well. that might be if you're a shareholder, but probably not a scheme holder with them, uh, because mm-hmm. I think if you're on the yeah. customer side yeah. of things, you're probably lamenting. Uh, all of the increases that are often passed through every year. Definitely, definitely, right. Um, the, 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 I mean, of course, they did freeze some of the increases um, when when sort of the pandemic started, but, you know, they, they, they were quick to also come back on that. But from a customer perspective, uh, you probably, you know, um, are looking at those increases and are not very happy. You know, but seemingly people um, are, are not leaving them. So, you know, it's, it's one of those. I mean, also, if you consider, you know, they're not the cheapest medical aid yeah. um, in, in, in the country. And uh, if you look at their target customers, it's probably people that could potentially just take some of that hit. And I think um, the relationship that formed with corporates, you know, gives them quite a significant advantage in the sense that you find a lot of employers, you know, uh, opting or actually encouraging their customers to go with them. But I think I think uh, for, 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 from a group perspective, from a organization perspective, they, they, they performed well. Not, a, not unexpected as well, just considering, uh, you know, the climate and just how they've been able to navigate COVID-19. You know, they did mention that um, a significant number of their um, customers had vaccinated and they've yeah. listed this as part of the reasons why they haven't seen uh, as many claims uh, in that particular department. But mm-hmm. I think... Uh, uh, for me, you know, I'm not, not really surprised. I think Discovery, um, it was one of those that was really set up to be able to, 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 to really leverage and take advantage of um, the current situation that found ourselves in. Yeah. They also made mentions of the provisions that they've um, been able to put in place and that even going forward, they'll continue with the provisions uh, just in, uh, uh, you know, as they navigate, you know, the post-pandemic, if you can call it that. Um, but very strong showing from discovery, you know, increases all around, um, particularly at the group perspective. Yeah. Just talk to me briefly, I guess, uh, insofar as newer initiatives are concerned. 
Discovery Bank. Um, one, in terms of clientele that they've managed to get on their books, uh, but also, I guess, yeah. the quality of that clientele. I mean, uh, credit loss ratios of 0.96%. W- what indicative sense does that give us about, I guess, the kind of quality uh, of uh, both transactional and lending clients that they're getting on, on their books? Yeah, I mean, I think that it just also just speaks to their overall client, client clientele and their, their client base, right? So, you know, uh, as you mentioned, they, you know, they, they've actually increased their clients quite significantly if you just uh, consider that, um, the, the, you know, they've, they've gained uh, quite significant clients uh, uh, going about 385,200 clients on, on that particular one and opening 793, you know, uh, thousand accounts. You know, so I think for me, it just really shows that, you know, they, they've probably gone for that niche market as well, that niche uh, space within that market and, and not necessarily playing the quantity game, um, as yeah. to say, uh, at, particularly at this at this point, which sort of makes sense uh, as they're sort of, um, uh, sort of starting out, you know. So, uh, I mean, I think it's, 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 it's a quite a, an interesting story discovery and it will be interesting to see how they, they, they actually go along the, uh, as years go and whether or not they're going to begin to look at diversifying their client base. So this is the, actually the strategy and business model that they'll be employing, uh, employing going forward. But um, I think it, Discovery Bank is going to be a really interesting yeah. one. Um, it's going to be a very interesting case study uh, in a couple of years to just to see how their trajectory and if they continue on this trajectory, you know, but um, really good showing and um, um, uh, I suppose kudos to the management yeah yeah let's shift our attention i guess away from the insurance sector to uh the real economy uh agro processing if i can put yeah. it like that uh, quantum foods always an interesting group here they are in the foods uh sorry feed business uh, but also yeah. i guess the the guys uh, who are responsible for new laid eggs and um you know uh, really uh, i guess um have some footprint not just here at home but in places like Uganda as well. Uh, talk to me about how they have fared um, and uh, they put out a voluntary trading update for the four months through to the end of last month uh, where I guess uh, they saw some challenges and headwinds uh, but also seeing some massive increases in capacity, 6.2% uh, decline also in external sales volumes. Yeah, so I mean this is a very interesting group, right? And for me, you know, when you look at this group, uh, you know, it's one of those groups where, you know, they've been able to leverage the fact that they play in different aspects of that value chain, right? And they've been able to actually take advantage of some of the operational efficiencies there. But they did uh, mention, of course, that they've experienced challenging trading conditions uh, in that um, that, in that quarter. Uh, and they've um, basically included and mentioned some uh, factors that have led to this, you know, significant increase in uh, feed raw material costs. They, you know, they've spoken about the higher egg supply, basically uh, lowering the prices within the market, uh, you know, continued risks with um, HPAI um, that influenza that uh, affects uh, some of their livestock there and also yes. just extreme climatic conditions. So I think they've been affected by a lot of external factors, but I think um, they've been able to also leverage, um, you know, their, their many businesses, you know, being able to say, you know what, uh, since the feed business is not necessarily doing well from an external sales perspective, they've been able to increase their internal sales and pushing it back to your livestock. So, you know, it's, it's one of those good cases of uh, playing within various um, parts of the value chain. Um, but yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look very good on their on their on their particular yeah. side. You know, six point two percent decrease in external sales volumes. But um, they've been able to, to to maintain some operational efficiencies, and that has been able to offset uh, some of the declines. They've also had some industrial relations challenges as well. Um, yeah, and, uh, that's out in their Calfontein operations, which contributes about fifteen percent to the South African egg production uh, business. Talk to me about what's happened there. 
Yeah, so I mean, I think um, there was just uh, issues around uh, employee relations. Uh, and I think the story is just around uh, the employees that were fired because of sabotage, uh, that, well, alleged sabotage, if you can call it that, uh, which led to a lot of the employees being unhappy. There was an unprotected strike that happened there, led to management taking a decision to fire all those people, put them through disciplinary processes, which meant that they needed to change their employees. Of course, it affected productivity, it affected operations. But yeah, they, they, they were definitely hit um, quite hard. And, partic- and, and you know, I mean, you've already mentioned that it's, uh, it's, it contributes to about 15% of their egg production uh, as a whole company. So, you know, they, they, they definitely felt it there. And uh, I mean, they said that the production lost uh, in that period is not something that they're going to recover in this period. So they, they're just going to have to try and see how they recoup um, some of the losses there. Yeah. And, and I guess uh, the other question is raw material costs um, f- yeah. for the feed business. I mean, I assume the raw materials there would be yellow maize. And we yeah. know what's happened in the agricultural sector uh, where the higher than expected rain volumes have impacted uh, on, you know, certain grain production. And uh, I guess that's been passed down t- into their feed business. But also, I guess they pass it down onto their broiler and their egg production business. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it, it's just how you sort of sort of integrated that value chain is, and and these effects always trickle down. As you mentioned, you know, um, those you know the climate conditions just have affected the maize production quite significantly, and that has just uh, cascaded down to the various uh, businesses. But again, you know, I think the fact that they have these different businesses with along the value chain, they've been able to to to, to sort of maneuver um, that particular particular you know situation, and I think um, it. it you know, it also just uh, shows, you know, good good production management, I suppose, on their particular side. But the climate conditions, I think, is going to continue to affect our agriculture for youth. And uh, uh, quite soon, actually, probably trickle down to food prices as well, you know. So it's just going to be it's an interesting one, you know. And I think, um, you know, for me, uh, just looking at the declines, but I think for me what has impressed me about quantum foods is just uh, how they've been able to adjust and maneuver and be able to, at the very least, navigate um, all the challenges that they had. Yeah, yeah, quite an interesting one there uh, on the part of uh, Quantum Foods. Uh, but then let's shift our attention to KZN. We heard over the last few, <laughs> week or, few weeks or so of uh, uh, South Africa's largest refinery closing shop. And in the same week, we hear Glencore is uh, making some investments into their f- refining capability out in the Western Cape. Uh, talk to me about, I guess, you know, uh, what the Wazul Natal government wants to do and uh, some of the signals that uh, were heard in the State of the Province address uh, given by Premier Sihles Galal. Yeah, no, um, KZN Premier Upud uh, Sihle sort of mentioned in his uh, SOPA uh, today that, uh, you know, uh, following the news uh, from Shalom BP saying that there will be a pause for an indefinite period um, with regards to that refinery, you know, they said um, that um, they, they actually want to uh, work with the national government and they actually are asking the national government, that's the premier, that's the case within um, government, that um, they should actually purchase this refinery mm. and stating that uh, one of the impacts of this will be, it will be positive for the economy, they'll create jobs. Um, and that, uh, you know, they, they just want to stop this reliance uh, on um, foreign uh, companies that are bringing oil. I mean, I think they account for about 35% of the country's fuel supply. I mean, I think for me it's an interesting one, right? Um, it would be another state-owned enterprise. I mean, I think from a strategic perspective, you can understand the thought process, you know. But for me, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd just question, you know, do as, as government, do we have capacity to manage another state-owned enterprise? And would it be managed? 
the, the yeah. national or uh, the provincial level. But, but also, um, I mean, I mean, why, I would this not fall, why would this not fall under Petro SA? I mean, we already have a petroleum-related exactly. type of state-owned entity. Why, why would it now sit under the provincial government? Which is actually, you know, those arrangements, I mean, I remember in the case of I think the airport in Mtata, uh, that is run, I understand, by the Eastern Cape Provincial, uh, you know, uh, Transport Department, and not necessarily AXA. Um, and I guess, I mean, it just makes one wonder why you would have certain types of infrastructure, critical infrastructure, airports, refineries, and that type of thing, um, organizationally and governance and institutionally, mm. you know, uh, I guess configured in in very different ways. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it also speaks to that. I mean, South Africa in general, we know we've got this uh, problem of isolation. You know, a lot of you know, state-owned enterprises, departments, you know, working in isolation and, and, and there's a need for integration. I mean, for me, it also doesn't make sense, you know, why the provincial department uh, would want to manage it. I mean, I suppose at this point, they're merely suggesting, you know, that um, it should be a state-owned and how then that would be structured mm. and the mechanisms which it would happen would probably be a conversation that would follow. And I mean, I can't imagine um, national government allowing a provincial government to run um, a state-owned enterprise, particularly the one that is so, you know, um, significant. Yes. Uh, I mean, 35 percent of our country's fuel. I mean, any mismanagement there would 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 put us in a very very difficult position. You know, so I mean, I think for me, it, it also this doesn't align very well, right, with um, sort of the sentiments we we heard uh, within the Sona. Uh, stating that, you know, there's going to be increased triple P's, there's going to be increased, um, and that government is not going to be creating jobs and all of that rather provide the environment. Uh, yet, uh, you know, you've got the Premier now saying that it's important that we own this so that we can create jobs. So, I mean, I think uh, I think for me, uh, it, it's not a call that's going to be uh, met positively as per se uh, by government. I, I can't see, where, you know, them making this. And also, where, where are we going to get the money, right? Um, I mean, we've got a very squeezed fiscus as it is. But um, interesting, nonetheless, you know, and uh, and uh, and I think it's it's that broader conversation around, you know, um, should we be making certain strategic investments? Uh, I mean, I think oil would be a strategic investment, but do we really, as a government, want to be uh, doing it? Particularly the provincial government, you know, put it under yeah. Petro SA if we are going to do it, yeah. um, and just simply just um, let let it be managed at that um, at that level. Yeah, and I guess maybe Abandu, you know, uh, are getting excited. I mean, look at what the Brent crude oil price is doing. Um, yeah, so, so people are getting excited about, I guess, the type of pricing structures you might want to pass through to downstream retailers or to distributors. Um, yeah. I mean, in South Africa already, there's a massive state involvement in this sector. I've mentioned Petro SA, but even yeah. the pipeline that will pipe, you know, this fuel from the refinery um, through, you know, or even how it lands, lands in the ports that are operated by the state. And then, yeah. of course, would also go into a pipeline that is operated by Transnet. Um, and I think, you know, the, the issue is what about just that refining capability should be in state-owned hands when the entire value chain already has massive state involvement um, in, you know, what uh, areas some people might even say are maybe a higher value segments. I, I don't know enough about the space uh, to maybe offer an opinion, but it just is quite interesting for me that um, this would come out in a state of the province address. But let's stay in the energy and fuel space. ESCOM had initially wanted a 20.5% tariff increase to recover some of their historic costs and even, I guess, uh, you know, some of uh, the cost of their current operating model, burning a lot of diesel, a lot of plant failings, a lot of maintenance spend at the moment, uh, and they need to recoup that money from all of us, you and me, and also firms in the economy. What do you make of this? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, um, firstly, you know, um, quite relieved that they didn't receive the 20% increase. Um, just from a customer perspective, right, I mean, electricity prices are already high, you know, as it is. I mean, uh, you've got a lot of people squeezed as it is, disposable incomes are uh, shrinking uh, at a significant rate, you know, so I think uh, firstly, but, I, but still, 9.6 is quite, it's just quite, it's quite, uh, and I think South Africans are going to feel it. But you know, ESCOM does have challenges, uh, and I think for me, you know, I think there needs to be a bit of a step back with ESCOM, and there needs to be a decision actually made on what is actually going to be done with ESCOM. You know, because we're continuing to bail them out on one end, um, there's increases on the other end. You know, and and I think that there needs to be, there needs, to, I mean, we put together different plans, but but for me, you know, it, it's just, it's getting slightly frustrating in terms of what they, what's happening there. But yeah, I mean, the tariff increase has been approved. Uh, this, of course, follows uh, after ESCOM had gone to court through the process. NEFSA had um, sort of pushed back, talking about the customer side. But yeah, it looks like um, from the 1st of April, um, we're going to be paying higher um, electricity prices in South Africa. Hey, you can say that again. Uh, and I guess what implications that can have we know even the Monetary Policy Committee always looking at administered prices, always, I guess, trying to make sense of that. Uh, what impact are we going to see, I guess, on prices across the board in the economy on the back of uh, this tariff increase? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you would imagine, right, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to an extent trickle down to, 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 to all of that. And I mean, I think for me, what was also a bit worrying, well, not worrying as per se, you know, it was just the responses um, from the CFO there, you know, saying that, uh, uh, th- th- this decision is going to have um, certain financial implications on ESCOM's long-term sustainability because they needed this um, 20% increase and that uh, they'll be, you know, deliberating further with the board as to what their next steps would be, you know. And, I mean, looking at the fact that, you know, they've been to courts regarding this matter, are they going to be going back there? You know, we, we, we're, not, we're not really sure at this point. But, uh, I mean, I think this is going to be felt uh, right across, you know, businesses, um, municipalities, you know, they expected, of course, municipalities um, to begin to put a surcharge as well into customers, but I think this is going to be quite significant, um, and I think as South Africans, we'll, we'll, we'll really feel it. Um, I mean, already, you know, fuel prices are increasing, there's, um, you know, the, 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 the incomes are not growing, uh, the cost of living is just increasing. Um, it's, for me, it's, this is just not um, good news um, from a customer perspective. Mm. And then, I guess, you know, for, for the future of ESCOM, I mean, we saw yesterday um, some of the allocations, $136 billion yep. over the last three years or so, um, expecting to allocate a lot more in the next, I guess, four or five years, $88 billion. Um, I'm just sitting here asking myself, I guess, you know, if you think about the IPPs and the scale of that, the decommissioning of, of certain plant, um, you know, what ideally... Uh, might be the price path uh, for tariffs that might, you know, uh, at least give some impetus to mining, impetus to secondary industry, uh, and uh, get some jobs going, I guess, in, in related sectors of the economy as well. Yeah, I mean, I think this this, this, this common energy um, situation is an interesting one. I mean, I think what we might potentially see is just a lot of the companies moving to self-generation, um, you know, and... Uh, for me, and, and and it just you know it, it's just around the issue now, the question around uh, ESCOM sustainability and their future going forward. 
Um, and whether or not we're going to begin to see more and more um, allowances in terms of, you know, who can generate what and who can do what and that, the actual amount then, whether or not um, it, 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 it will start then being feeding back to the grid. And, and you know, I think, I think the energy crisis uh, or the energy situation in South Africa is, is, is one that uh, in the next couple of years uh, is going to be really an, an interesting one and it's going to begin to shape up and, and we're going to be able to start seeing um, really how it's going to look like. And I think in five, ten years' time, it's going to look completely different. Um, and uh, how ESCOM will still be relevant or what role ESCOM will have then is going to be quite interesting, particularly also with, you know, that um, um, sort of separation into the three different entities and how that will actually impact uh, it and its sustainability going forward. Uh, and I think there's also been, you know, uh, we've heard calls before the budget speech of government potentially taking over that um, debt there and whether or not that is something that will still be on the cards or not. Mm-hmm. I think on my side, hopefully not. But, um, you know, ESCOM is one of those, you know, they'll probably always get um, uh, government allocation because they're so crucial to, to, to the function of the economy. But uh, I think uh, there's a broader conversation around how our energy sector as a whole is structured. Nakamatandela, yeah. I guess a lot of uh, a lot of variables to consider, a lot of permutations, a lot of uh, what ifs. And I guess that's the nature of where we find ourselves. Uh, but we'll have to leave it there for tonight. As always, a pleasure catching up with you, and thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, and uh, have a good show going forward. An interesting one. I'm looking forward to this conversation around Ukraine. And quite complicated position with the South African government finds themselves in. It will be very interesting to see how they actually handle it going forward. This is a challenge. Yeah, we're going to look at that in the next few minutes. Hey. We know that people get busy.